Oh, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by praying together at this time. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your entire plan that is laid out from Genesis all the way to Revelation, centering on your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for his sacrifice for our sins on the cross. We thank you that you have raised him from the dead, never to die again. And he's at your right hand, and whoever believes in Jesus Christ, the one who died for their sins and rose from the dead, will never perish, but has eternal life. We thank you for that incredible gift by grace through faith. We ask today, Father, that as we continue our study in the Gospel of John, that we might be built up and edified by the truth there, and that we would concentrate on the new material this morning, and we would ask also, Father, for the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit to make it meaningful and purposeful in our lives. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Welcome to everybody, including our friends on Skype. I do want to remind our friends on Skype that we are recording, and so if you haven't already, I would ask you to please um, turn off your camera. And mute your microphone, so that way we uh, we won't be recording you and what's going on in your house while we're preaching the word this morning. All right, you've been warned. All right, a couple, three announcements this morning. The first one is that, um, as I mentioned last week, that's scheduled for Thanksgiving. We will not be having services on that day, that Thursday. We typically don't, but also on the Sunday after, we will not be having services then as well. New news, Keithian Starling, who many of you, if not all of you know, Keithian will be um, visiting us on uh, actually the, the Sunday right before Thanksgiving, the 21st. So you can mark that in your calendars, too. Keithian Starling on November 21st. And then third, our other friends from Pakistan, Grace Bible Church Pakistan, will once again be having their Christmas care package fundraiser for their, their people there. Um, it will be a little different this year. I will uh, give you more information, but basically, um, after, after after they prayed and thought about it and their situation, um, they're, they're changing a little bit. They're still going to have gifts for the children, um, but they're also going to be um, raising money for families as well, for whole families. And so um, I'll give you more information about that um, because of the nature of what they're doing. The, uh, the deadline is now at the end of the year, December 31st. And um, so I'll give you information about that as we next week, probably, if we figure more out about that. Okay, let's begin. Please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 25. Gospel of John, and I would ask that if you still have your camera on, that you turn it off at this time getting a message that says that our connection is being affected by the video that is still on. So please turn that off right now. I don't think I have. Do I have the ability to turn the camera off for people? No, I don't. Okay. So they're going to have to do that on their own. But again, um, please turn your camera off if you have it on. We do have at least one person that has it on. It's a lovely view. uh, sort of an urban area. Turn your camera off at this time um, so that we won't, we won't be affecting the audio this morning. All right. Again, please turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 7. And all this hubbub. One other thing I have to do. Make sure you're sharing your screen. Yeah, exactly. That should cut off that video. Oh, will it? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Okay. So, yeah, I knew it was my fault somehow. There you go. So, yeah, I always screw That worked. All right, fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Let me get this going. All right. Now, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, verse 7. 
chapter 7, verse 25, and we'll get started. John chapter 7, verse 25. The title of today's message is, We Have Found the, we have found the Messiah. We'll see a lot about that. Um, it, it, uh, at the end of service last Sunday, I mentioned that we would be looking at the subject of the Messiah and Messianic prophecy. And indeed, we are and we will. Um, I'll have more to say about that. Actually, I can say it now. Why not? On the subject of Messianic prophecy, but it is such a big subject that we're actually going to have to do more in one week. So I hope you got look forward to that. So there's just you can't do it justice in one in one service. So in any event, John chapter seven, verse twenty five. So some of the people of Jerusalem were saying, is this not the man and the ruler does not really know that this is the Christ, do they? However, we know where this man is from. No one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, you both know and know where I am from. I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true and whom you do not know. I know him. hand on because his hour had not yet come but many of the crowd believe and when the Christ comes he will not perform more signs than those which this man has will he first he's heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent an officer to seize him therefore Jesus said for a little You will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said, intend to go that we will not find him. He's not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is the statement that he said? You will seek me and will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood in. And he, anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes, in, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So the people there, therefore, when they heard these words were, this certainly is the prophet. I, I emphasize the New Testament equivalent of the Messiah. Those words are pretty much interchangeable, meaning one's in the Hebrew, the other is in the Greek. But we are talking about person, ultimately. So the fact of the matter is, is that this Gospel of John that we are now studying refers to this person, this Messiah. Some hostile, some believing, some skeptical. But they all, as a matter of fact, it said six times in this passage this morning. As, as, uh, as I read it, I hope that was, that was something you noticed. And the thing about it is they may have been confused and they were about him. But it's clear. There's one thing that they all shared, which is they expected this Christ, this Messiah to be coming and coming soon. They didn't all agree that Jesus was that Messiah. But and furthermore, that the scriptures had said that he would come. Now, what scriptures were those? That were Old Testament scriptures, because, again, when Jesus was actually performing his ministry, none of the New Testament. 
Um, in fact, anytime basically in the in the whole New Testament, with a couple of exceptions, when they talk about scriptures, they're always talking about okay, so that in mind because that's going to be very um, crucial to our uh, look at the Messiah, particularly in the Old Testament, because when they, when we see what the New Testament has to say about him, it's all it's all, all as it were a reflection of what's said about him in the Old Testament. So we'll see more. But again, um, if you look at verse 40, starting in verse 40, I'll read that again to you. Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, this certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, this is the Christ, the promised Messiah from the Old Testament. Still others were saying, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Notice this next verse carefully. Has not the scripture has not the scripture said has not the old they wouldn't have called it this, but the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, hasn't it said that the Christ comes? So it's a fact, but also from the descendants of David, which the Old Testament certainly says, and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. Notice how specific the information that they recalled is. What is that telling us? It's telling us that they recognize that there's a, a body of information in the, in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures that are pointing forward to this person, the Messiah. Okay. And as a matter of fact, this particular scripture, when, it, when, it, when, it, when we see that, that there are some here, the ones that are mentioned um, and quoted in verse 42, had not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was. These for sure understood that the Hebrew scriptures spoke of the Messiah who was to come, the Messiah who was to come. And let us take a look at that passage that they were citing. Look at Micah now. Please turn to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David? Bethlehem, the village where David was. Look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. As you're turning there, I'll remind you also from the Christmas story that this wasn't the first time that the subject of Micah 5, 2, in connection with the king, the Messiah, was raised by people in, in Jerusalem, actually. And of course, what I'm, what I'm talking about is the camera when Jesus was born and then what, what, what looks like another year or two later, the major and, and they were on their way. They were going through Bethlehem on their way to see the Messiah, the child, the child king. And Herod was really disturbed about it. And he wanted to know when they left, he wanted to know from his own scribes, the experts in the in the Old Testament, because he certainly wasn't. Well, where did the scriptures say that he is to be born? And of course, they they also cited Micah five two in Bethlehem. So we see this more than once. Again, a reflection that the people of Jesus' time, the Jews of Jesus' time, recognized that the Messiah was coming, and that the Old Testament had had predicted that and talked about him very specifically here, as we see in Micah. Let's read Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. Of course, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet. He's saying, from you, Bethlehem, one will go forth for me, the Lord God, to be ruler in Israel. I want to stop just for a minute. When Michael was writing this, it was it was centuries after David, the great king, had ruled and died. And as the New Testament says, he remains in his grave to this day. So this was not talking about David because this was written and prophesied after David died. And as those of you that have been studying with us on Thursdays in the book of Isaiah, you also know that by, by this is Micah and, and Isaiah were contemporaries, that they'd been a series of kings, some good, some bad. Um, and uh, at, from the time of Micah forward, the king of Judah got worse and worse and worse until the time when the Lord said it was time for them to be taken in exile. So the, certainly there was not a king at this time 
in the future relative to Micah of Israel that would be a, a ruler that was sanctioned by the Lord and done, doing the Lord's will, God's will. So it has to be somebody else. Okay. Again, but as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. And notice, his goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. From the days of eternity, it was preached that this one would come in the future. In the future, as far as Micah's writing, and as far as the, even as far as the Jews of Jesus' day, that he would be coming. And from days of eternity, he was, he was there uh, going to come. Which, in other words, he's also God's son. See, the, the amazing thing about Micah demonstrates is that, that not only did the Old Testament say that the promised Messiah would come from the line of David and be powerful and wise, and it also said that he would rule forever. And so, in other words, it said that this promised Messiah is not only the Christ, but also the Son of God. And we see another example of that here. It's also in Isaiah chapter 9, okay, where he will rule forever. So here, Micah says he's, he's, he's existed from eternity. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And then Isaiah is going to say he will rule for eternity. So you get some idea of the magnitude of this person, even in the Old Testament. That's, the, that's what we're going to look at. Notice verse, therefore, he will give them up. And this is the, the Lord will give up the people of Israel until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. See, that's another prophecy related to Mary giving birth to the Lord. Then the remainder of the brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain, because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. As we have so often in Old Testament prophecy, we see a, a combination of the first coming of Christ, right, in Bethlehem, born of a woman, and the second coming of Christ. And that's verse 4. He will arise and shepherd his flock. In other words, he will be the king of Israel. He will lead Israel in the strength of the Lord and in majesty, the majesty of the name of the Lord is God. And they, the people of Israel, will remain. They'll remain in their land because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. The Messiah would not only be the one who would bring the nation of Israel into the promised land forever, but he will also rule all the nations of the earth. That's after Jesus comes the second time. But in any event, such fantastic prophecy, messianic prophecy about the coming of the Messiah and as we now know which they didn't know that he would come in two stages okay necessitated by the way about the fact that when he comes the first time the nation of Israel rejects him so he, they, they said you are not our king and that of course then in the plan of God a lot of things were then put in place including us all right so such so that even now we look forward to the future when Micah 5 4 will be fulfilled when Christ comes back. Now, again, as I mentioned at the outset last Sunday, at the end of Sunday's message last week, I said, this is what I said, we will do a short study on the Messiah in the Old Testament scriptures. And I was right, <laughs> except for one word, short, right? And the reason is, is kind of, you know, like what happens? I say something like that. Now, what do I do? I got to go study, 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 put it together. And the more I was studying, I'm like, man, look at this. There's more and there's more. And it's not just, oh, there's more facts that I can show off or more, more scriptures I can throw at you. There's more to this subject. It is a great, great subject. As we're going to see, it, it, it spans the entire Bible. It, it says not only what the Jews were expecting, which is what a lot of people, when they talk about messianic, they talk about the prophecies and that Jesus is their promised king, which he is. But also, as the more I looked at it, the more I saw that it, it, there's this seamless storyline from Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation about this one and the Messiah who has come. And so we're going to spend more than one week on this. I, I can't tell you 
how long we'll spend on it. Now, some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, I thought we were in the Gospel of John. We were rolling along, going one section after the other, and now you're putting the brakes on? Yeah, I am. Uh, here's why. It's actually a very appropriate thing to do, not only because, as we've seen in Chapter 7, that the, the crowds are all in, in expectation of the Messiah coming but not only that as we've seen from the very beginning that person that messiah that christ is central to the entire mission and purpose of the gospel of john and so it pays for us to really learn and understand all that we can about what what the people expected then and why john makes it the centerpiece of his gospel along with jesus being of course god's son which we've seen many times already please turn once again we've been here a lot just to refresh our memories of the overall purpose of the gospel of John. I'd like you to turn to John chapter 20, chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20, verse 30. John's style is to tell you what he's going to write after he writes it. He gives the purpose at the end. He does this in the, in, in, in not only here, but in the, in the letter of first John, he does the same thing. These things I have written to you. Right. So that you believe this is first John. You believe in the son of God. May know that you have eternal life. here. Notice why he writes John chapter 20, verse 30. Therefore, many other signs. And by that, don't just think miracles. Now we've been we've seen this enough to realize that a sign is um, and I will say a miracle, but an event, a, a record of the life of Jesus that points to the meaning of who he is. So there were many other signs that Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, in John's writing. But these, the Gospel of John, these have been written so that what? You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, that you, all who would read this. And remember, John's Gospel is the most, what we call, evangelistic. It is the one that you want to send unbelievers to, right? So that they can understand who is this person that you're asking me to believe in, right? And and what's what's John's goal in having that happen? That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Now, we've seen already in the first seven chapters of the book of, of the Gospel of John, how, how central the, 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 the Son of God being identified with Jesus really is. We've seen him talk about his father. We saw it this morning. He's sent from his father and so forth. So that clearly is a, is one of the central themes, if not maybe even. But the Christ is the other one. And they're, I would say they're equally important. And so so we need to understand, well, what is it? What does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Who is the Christ? And, 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 and why were the Jews expecting? What, who were they respecting? Who should, have they been, who should they have been expecting based on the scriptures? Because remember, we saw last week that the ideas in their head about the Messiah at this time were really different in, in many respects from the, what the Old Testament has to say. Not here, by the way, where we just were, because in that one verse, John seven forty two, they were spot on that he would be of the line of David. But, but most of the time, remember, they had... The wrong understanding of the king, the king, you know, that would not be coming as a conqueror the first time, actually, um, but he would be coming as a servant, as a servant. There are a lot of connections, and there will be, as we go through this study, between the Gospel of John, it's saying, and Isaiah, which we're studying on Thursday evening. There are a lot of connections. So some of the things I'm saying this morning will be more meaningful those of us who have been immersed in the in the book of isaiah because we're about to study there the servant of the lord okay all right so john 20 30 31 says is the purpose these things have been written in verse 31 that's the gospel of john so that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that believing you may have life in his name the subject of the christ appears also in several places. It's a central theme throughout much of the gospel. For Just to give you a sense of that, the subject of the Christ appeared in chapter 1. John talked about it. We'll see a passage about it today. Chapter 3, 
chapter 4, our chapter, chapter 7, chapter 10, chapter 11, and chapter 12, as well as here in, in chapter 20, which is a, just a summary. Okay, So it's across the, bio, uh, the Gospel of John, we see the Christ being brought up again and again and again, and um, one has to ask the question. Doesn't have to, but certainly, if you want to understand it, you want to find out who is this Christ. What are the features of this Christ? What did they mean by it? What did John mean by it? And so, you see, today, I think as Christians, we're so used to the Christ, Christ Jesus. I mean, Paul talks about Christ Jesus in Christ, but I think we sometimes maybe forget where that came from. What? What, what do you mean that? He is the Christ. And that's what we're going to look at. We're going to spend a bit of time on that subject. I'd like you to turn, for example, to the Gospel of John again, back to chapter 4, and verses 39 to 42. See, we're at a great place for this subject. As a matter of fact, let me put this up again. As you turn to John chapter 4, verse 39, John 4, 39, I want you to look at this previous slide once you get there. All right. The subject of the Christ appears in chapters 1, 3, 4, 7, 10, 11, 12. So there are, I've listed seven different chapters here. What's the middle chapter in this list? Seven. Where are we right now? Chapter seven. So it's a great place, a, a, a perch. I'm looking through. The, you know, you're at the halfway point and you're looking back and you're looking forward. So it's a great time to be looking at this subject. And I say that because we've already seen the Christ in chapter one. We see we'll go back. We're going to see these passages again today. But but the when the disciples of John first met Jesus and started following him. They knew that he was the Christ, and they said as much. As a matter of fact, the title of today's message, We Have Found the Messiah, comes from chapter 1, right? I think it was Andrew. We'll see it this morning. Chapter 3 again. John the Baptist comes back in chapter 3, and he basically says, I'm not the Christ, but the Christ is coming. Chapter 4. That's where I've had you turn now. Look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 39. From that city, Sychar, if you remember, it's a... The city of the Samaritans, the Samaritans were half Gentile, half Jew. Jews and Samaritans wanted nothing to do with one another. Jesus comes and he's at the well, thirsty, and there's a woman there. And he asked the woman for a drink. Remember that, that we saw all of that and how he turned around the subject of water to talk about salvation. And so now that woman went back to the town, talked about him. He knows everything about me. Could he be the Christ. And then the Samaritans went to him. He spent a couple of days, and here, verse 39, we see from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed with there, he stayed there two days. Many more Believed because of his word. You see, the common people, there were many, 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 what I'll call common people. You couldn't get any more common than a Samaritan in terms of the how the Jews looked at the world. But many of the Samaritans believed. And it's really almost immediately, it's very similar to what we saw with Nathaniel and Philip and Andrew in chapter one. It was like, here he is, spend a day with him. I know he's the Christ. Right? Amazing, amazing person. Same thing here in chapter four. A woman comes into town, says, you got to meet this man. He knows everything about me. They listen. And even on the strength of her, what she says, some believe. And then they come and spend a couple of days. And a whole, much, whole bunch more believed in him. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the world, it is no longer because of what you, you said, what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Amazing. Again, one has to wonder, what was it that they heard? What was it 
that they heard from Jesus, and we don't know, but I'll tell you this much. We know that he talked about himself as the Messiah. As a matter of fact, that phrase, the Savior of the world, you don't see it. You know, you could say, well, he doesn't use the Christ of the Messiah, but, and hopefully we'll see this too in this series, the title, the Savior of the world, is also referring to the Messiah promised in the Old Testament. We'll see that. We saw it already in Micah. Remember where we saw how, how it was expanded. He talked about coming for the Jews. Jewish people, and then he would rule from the ends of the earth. Remember, we saw that this morning. He's the savior of the world, and that's also a messianic. Okay, I mentioned John the Baptist. Well, John the Baptist talked about the Messiah, but his emphasis was on making it crystal clear he was not that. I, I am not the Christ, right? Because why? Now, think about that. Why would he say that? If the Christ wasn't on the minds of the people, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have said it. If there weren't stories and rumors about maybe this is the promise, right? Then he, why would he say, oh, wait a minute, I'm not him. It was only because the expectation was there that the Messiah was about to come, right? Misinformed in many cases, but nevertheless, it, it's clear that these Jewish people knew, expected the Messiah to come. Heck, the Samaritans did too. Well, where'd they get that from? Ultimately, it's from the Old Testament prophecies, Messianic prophecies. They say this because there's so much controversy, and there has been for the last 200 years about whether or not the Old Testament is what they call Messianic, looking forward to the Messiah. And as, I, as I've been studying this, it's, it's absolutely stunning that anyone would not think that. But, of course, we have the advantage, you know, we have the advantage of being believers. We have the advantage of having the mentorship of God, the Holy Spirit, so that these passages pop and come alive when we look at them. Nevertheless, the Old Testament is full of references to the Messiah. And I'll go a step beyond that. The, the, the central storyline of the entire Old Testament is about the Messiah. It's messianic in nature. And I don't mean Jesus Christ. I mean, of course, I do. We know that. But the Old Testament, one of the things that they lacked, and Peter talks about this, was they didn't know who, what individual. They knew the Messiah was coming. They knew a lot about him, but they didn't know who. It's That's a weird sign. Right? Sorry about that. But he said, see, see, the who would be revealed in the New Testament. You see, see, the Old Testament is incomplete without the new. And by the way, it also works the other way around. I'll give you an example of that if we get that far this morning. So that's what I mean about the storyline throughout, but definitely throughout the Old Testament, such that John had to say, look, I'm not him, which meant he's real, he's coming, but it's not me. Please turn to John chapter 3, verse 28, for an example of that. Here's the Messiah, the Christ, in chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 28. He saw his disciples again. He says, you yourselves are my witnesses that I said I'm not the Christ. What did he say? I'm not the Christ. See, it's, it's just as important to know who's not the Christ as who is. Right? Because anybody who thinks that John is the Christ is going to miss the real Christ, right? And so you got to make that clear. It also tells you what a phenomenal figure John the Baptist is. As a matter of fact, he is called accurately the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. And it's an interesting expression, by the way. The greatest prophet of the Old Testament. You might say, wait a minute, here he is. He's in the New Testament. Why would they say that? You see, and the answer is, is because he was the last in the line of prophets pointing forward to the Messiah and as he finished up with his work, the Messiah came. See it? That's, again, uh, proof, not proof, but evidence that the Messiah is the, is the theme of the prophets of the Old Testament. In any event, um, so, so John says, I'm not the Messiah. I am not the Christ, but notice this. I have been sent ahead of him. What excitement anyone you should have had when he said that, right? I have been sent ahead of him. What does that mean? He's right behind me. He's coming any minute now. See it? So he, he was not only pointing to who, that he wasn't, he was saying who's coming. And he would say things like, I am not fit to untie the, 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 the whatever that thing is on the sandal. I'm not an expert, but I'm not a sandal strap. I'm not fit to even untie a sandal strip, sandal strip, whatever. Um, so he was he was building up the anticipation. Why not? 
he knew that he was the one who would be the forerunner and that the Messiah was coming and here and about to come on the, on the, on the stage of Judea and then ultimately on the world stage in a good way. All right. Now that's so, so John says, I'm not the Messiah. Well, Jesus said the opposite. You see, don't don't think for a minute that he didn't claim he was the Messiah. He did. For example, a few times right here, just in the Gospel of John and times also in the other Gospels as well. He said, yes, I am he. I am the one. So while John told his disciples he was not the Messiah. In chapter four. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman that he was. He was the promised Messiah. Look at John chapter 4, verse 25. John chapter 4, verse 25. This is that same Samaritan woman at the well. and This is when he is... Remember, everything he said to her was a shock, a surprise, and he's going to give her the biggest shock of all right now, right? Notice verse four, chapter four, verse 25. The woman said to Christ, to Jesus, I know that, notice this statement, I know that Messiah is coming, Samaritan woman. I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. See, this passage is a great, this verse is a great passage for that linkage, right? Messiah and Christ are one and the same. Well, as a matter of fact, what John was doing here actually was quoting the woman, right? Because she would have said probably in Aramaic, uh, he is the Messiah in a, in a, in a, in a Hebrew, Hebraic language, if I put it that way. Very, in other words, Aramaic and Hebrew were really, really close. And that was the word she used. John, on the other hand, right, is writing to an audience that includes a lot of Gentiles and also spoke Greek for the most part. He wrote the he wrote the gospel in Greek. And so he was, in a sense, translating. Here's a word from the Hebrew. You may not know what it means. So I'm going to tell you what it means in Greek. That shows you it's the same, the same word, just in two different languages. I know that the Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Because. Samaritan woman is talking about he, that one, right? As if, well, he's coming. I'm telling you too, Jew, he's coming. What the, what a surprise is she, she's going to get in the very next verse, right? Jesus said to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. The last great surprise that Jesus had for the Samaritan woman. But not only that, for all of us, for all of those who would say, Jesus never claimed he was the Messiah. You can't prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Sorry, folks. He said, I who speak to you am the Messiah. I am he. So Jesus said he was the Messiah. Now we'll see another example of that during the Feast of Dedication. Now, feast, of course, is a key concept, as we've seen in the Gospel of John. Remember, we've already seen a few feasts. We've seen the Feast of the Passover when he came to Jerusalem. We've seen an unnamed feast. Remember in chapter five, not sure which one. In chapter seven, another feast where he goes up to Jerusalem, right? The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths. Here in chapter 10, yet another feast. I'm sorry, I haven't given you chapter 10. (laughs) We're going to chapter 10. But he told the Jews in the temple during the Feast of Dedication the same thing. I want you to go now to John chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. John chapter 10, verse 24 to 25. And in turn there, I'm going to tell you about this feast of dedication just a little bit. You you all all heard, I'm sure, of Hanukkah. Right, Hanukkah? A lot of people want to say, you know, Hanukkah is not in the Bible. You know, I look in the Old Testament and I can't find the Hanukkah anywhere, right? As a matter of fact, it's true. It's not in the Old Testament. But what is it, what is it celebrating? It's celebrating when the Maccabeans, who are a group of Jews that were um, rebelling against the Greeks, right? When they, um, they, were, they were going back into the temple and they were getting rid of all the horrible things that the Greeks had put in there. And they're reestablishing the temple and they don't have enough oil, to keep the lamp lit. And so there's a miracle. And the Lord provides the oil for the eight days. That's Hanukkah. 
People say, well, that's a nice story, but it's not in the Bible. It is a story, by the way. But not only that, it is in the Bible. It is disguised. But it's our feast of dedication here in in John chapter 10, verse 24. And um, we're not going to study that, but basically it was in the wintertime. So it lines up a lot with when the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah. In any event, that's not our direct subject. But look at John chapter 10, verse 24. The Jews then gathered around him and were saying to him, they were saying to him, notice the suspense, notice the anticipation, the wondering, the curiosity. It's telling him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, these guys are a bunch of knuckleheads. Why? Because it's already crystal clear from the things he's already said that he's the Christ. So they're kind of like, you know, hello, right? You can, you can question why they would be like that, but they are like that. How, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. I mean, I picture this, I picture this dialogue. It's not exactly like that. But I picture this dialogue where Christ is talking about, I am the Christ. Tell us plainly, I am the Christ. No, 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 you need to tell us plainly. It's like, I am the Christ. In any event, he kind of, he kind of says the same thing in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you. And here's the problem. You don't believe. In other words, I could tell you till I'm blue in the face, but you don't believe. You're not going to believe me no matter how many times and how many ways I tell you. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. Not only that, but the works that I do in my father's name these testify of me now i'll just briefly talk about that just briefly which is what's the subject i am the christ right he's saying i am the christ how did what does he say my words i've told you you don't believe that what does he point to in addition the works that i do in my father's name now that's significant a significance that you won't see here but what is he trying he's trying to convince jews that he is the messiah and he's saying my words but look at my works. The works confirm that I'm the Messiah. What does that say? The things that Jesus did lined up with what the Old Testament said the Messiah would do. Okay. These testify of me. Although these Jews had a really hard time. It's more than that. They had hard hearts. They, were, they hated him without a cause. On the other hand, the disciples, and here the apostles in particular, they, many of them, most of them, I say most because we know one that definitely did not believe that he was the Messiah, right? Judas. But most of the apostles came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and we see direct evidence of that for at least three of them, four of them. Matter of fact, let's take a look at that. John chapter 1, verse 40. John chapter 1, verse 40. As often happens when I'm... Uh, reviewing and meditating that's, that's, just, that's not really what I do but considering the message a lot of times I, after I put it all together and it's all done in the slides and the notes I get this oh wait a minute right there's something else here and I'll show you that even though it's not here um, so John chapter 1 verse 40 to 41 again the context John the Baptist is saying I'm not the Christ he's saying he is here and pointing to him and one of the two who had heard John say this and followed Christ, followed Jesus, I'll use that, I'll use that name for him, was Andrew. This Andrew is, is, becomes an apostle. Simon Peter's brother, Andrew and Peter, brothers in business together, a fishing business, okay? He, Andrew, found first his own brother Simon and said to him, what did he say? We have found the Messiah. Again, explained by, by John for his Greek audience, which translated means Christ. We have found the Messiah. What a, again, well, that's an amazing statement to me. Two days, and he says he's found him. Of course, he was helped by the fact that John also said the same thing. And they, they, John, they were following John. In any event, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. Andrew believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Now, the, the, the next passage was one that I didn't have in my notes, but I want you to look at verse 45. Well, well, 43 for context. The next day, Jesus proposed to go into Galilee and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Philip, follow me. 
Now, Philip was from Bethsaida of the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, notice what he says, and also the prophets wrote Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. What is he saying? I want you to think about this, okay? You're a fisherman and your friend comes up to you and says, we have found him. What are you going to say? Who? Right? We found him. Is a new fisherman to row? Or what, what, what did you, who did you find? No, we have found him of whom Moses in the law, all the way back from to Genesis through Deuteronomy, he wrote about him. Moses in the law wrote about him. The prophets, Isaiah and Micah and all the other, wrote about him. Who? Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. The reason why it was, uh, it was a mistake for me not to put this in my original notes was here we have it we basically have the whole picture really right we have we have this this person philip going to nathaniel and saying we have found him who of, of whom moses and the law and also the prophets wrote well who could that be that they found him here and it was who moses wrote about in the prophets it can only be one person the messiah okay jesus of nazareth the son of joseph we basically have here the whole picture, the whole story, as it were. We have the fact that the Hebrew scriptures pointed forward to him. He's coming. And then here we have the apostles saying it, but the New Testament recording it. His name is Jesus. Right? He is here now. He's coming. That's the Hebrew scriptures. He's here. He has come. That's the New Testament. And his name is Jesus. That's the rest of the story. So there you have that one. And then look at verse 49. One more. Again, an unbelievable statement. Nathaniel, Philip came and talked to Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered the Lord and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, the king. You see, that is another title, by the way, for the Messiah, the promised king of the line of David. So here we have in this one little section, we have three apostles proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one, the king. Please go to John chapter 6, verse 68. One more apostle. We saw him in chapter 1. Clearly he believed what, they were, what the other apostles were saying, but here we have him making another remarkable statement. Look at John chapter 6, verse 68. And for once in his life, Simon had great timing. Okay, Because this was after all these people were walking out on Jesus because the things he was saying about his body and his blood, and they, didn't, they were shocked and they didn't want to hear it anymore. Simon Peter, because Jesus then comes to the apostles and says, you guys going to leave me too? Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom will we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Another title for, guess who? The Messiah, the promised one. We're going to see this. This is what I mean about the fact that this is not a one-week subject. The Holy One of God, yet another title for the Messiah. John also records that many ordinary Jews... We saw Samaritans already. Many ordinary Jews also believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Many, many, I say ordinary purposefully because we've already seen that the so-called extraordinary ones, right? The high priests and the Pharisees, and they didn't, right? They didn't believe in him. Common people did. Common people did. Which tells you it's not a matter of education or intellectualism or any of that. It's a matter of heart. It's a matter of openness to what this guy. By the way, you want to know a few of them? The, 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 the families of John the Baptist and Jesus were among the little core of what we call now call the remnant of everyday common people. Carpenter. Um, well, John's father, Zechariah, was, was not a common person. He was a priest. But in any event, okay, they, they, they knew the Messiah was coming. All right, let's go to John chapter 10, verse 4. Common people.
Ordinary Jews believed in Jesus as the Messiah. Look at John chapter 10, verse 40. And he went, this is Jesus, went away again beyond the Jordan to the very place where John was first baptizing. John was first baptizing. Jesus was first introduced. Okay. And he was staying. Many came were saying, while John performed no miracle, yet everything John said about this man, Jesus, was true. What did John say? He said, he is the one who is coming. He is the Messiah, right? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Messiah. These people, notice, many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign yet, everything John said about this man was true. And look at verse 42. Many believed in him there. So not only many Samaritans, but many common, ordinary Jews did also. I'm going to show one in particular, John eleven twenty seven. John eleven twenty seven. This woman, another woman, interestingly, Brother of Lazarus, I mean, sister Lazarus, Mary. This was right after Jesus says to says at the tomb of Lazarus, dead four days. Lazarus, come forth, and he comes forth. Mary and Martha were two, were two of his two his two sisters. I believe they're only two. John eleven twenty seven. Now Mary, Martha is saying she said to him, "Yes, Lord. What I have believed. What you are the Christ, the Son of God. Even he." who comes into the world they expected the one who was coming the messiah and now martha is saying i believe that you're him you're the christ the son of god even he who comes into the world so we have all kinds of people and they disagreed on so many things but they agreed on one thing and that is that the old testament spoke of the messiah the one who was yet to come even even the ones who didn't believe jesus was the messiah believed that the messiah was coming Herod believed it, for example, right? The, the, the high priest believed it. There's a lot of people who believed it, even though a lot of people rejected Jesus as that Messiah. Look at John chapter 12, verse 31. John chapter 12, verse 31. We see another crowd gathering. It's chapter 12. It's the last time... Jesus will address the Jewish people before he dies for them. Oh, oh, in chapters 13 through 17, he had a private meeting, discussion, teaching with his, with his disciples. But this is the last public declaration that Jesus is going to make. Now, judgment is upon this world. Now, the ruler of this world, that's Satan, will be cast out. And I, Jesus, if I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all men to myself. He is the savior of the world. Notice that. Draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Lifted up on the cross. The crowd, the crowd, then answered him. We have heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted? Who is this Son of Man? Fascinating, okay, on a lot of levels. First of, first of all, I don't, again, maybe it's because I have the Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart, but I'm thinking to myself, by now, they don't know that Jesus is talking about himself when he says Son of Man. I mean, but in any event... Any event, notice what, he, what the crowd says, though, in verse uh, 34. We have heard, notice here, not from the rabbis, not from an old wives' tale, but from what? The law. And you know what they meant by the law? They meant the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. What did they hear out of those books? Hebrew scriptures, they heard out of those books that the Christ is to remain forever. We got to check that out. Because it's not the prophets here. It's the law. Moses. Even Moses wrote 
that the Messiah would come and remain forever. How can you say and so forth? But I want you to see once again, common people knew that expect the Messiah. They, they, the expectation came from the old. So suffice to say that the Christ, the coming Messiah, is a major, major subject in the Gospel of John. As it is, I will add, across the entire Bible. So as we close today, I want to give you just a little preview once ahead with this study of the Messiah in the Old Testament. One of the things we're going to see is what these terms Messiah and Messianic mean. Again, in the context particularly of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, we'll learn that the entire Old Testament, listen to me now, the entire Old Testament is messianic. I'm not saying that the entire Old Testament, every scripture, mentions directly the Messiah. That's, we, that's obviously not the case. But what I'm saying is, is the overall direction, the purpose, the point, where are we heading from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Malachi? What's happening? Something's, something's building. Something is expected. Someone is expected. The entire Entire Old Testament is messianic in that sense. We will also, this is critical. This is one of the things that um, opened up to me this week that we're going to have to understand because it's really exceptionally important and I think little understood. But this relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament is much more important than perhaps we might have realized when it comes to this, not only the subject of the Messiah, but our understanding of the Bible. I mean, there's so many people today, Christian pastors, who are basically saying you can throw away the Old Testament. <laughs> That's ridiculous. But here's the thing. Each testament needs the other one. You might say, well, I, I can kind of understand why the Old Testament needs the new, because it's not finished. Yeah, and it's true. The Old Testament ends with nothing being resolved. If you were reading it as a book, you would say, what, it's ending here? Right? Promises haven't yet been fulfilled, person who is coming hasn't come yet. All kinds of loose ends as the Old Testament ends. All of the promises, they haven't been fulfilled yet. The promises to Moses, the promises to David, the promises through the prophets. You're all, they're all left hanging as if on a cliff when you stop. But you can't stop. You see, the, the Old Testament needs the new. The Old Testament ends. And as a matter of fact, the New Testament completes all the unfinished business of the Old Testament, all of it. So there is unfinished business in the Old. New Testament completes all the unfinished business of the Old Testament. We'll look at that. But on the other hand, reading the New Testament without the benefit of the Old Testament, you know what that's like? It's like starting in the middle of a novel, right? Who's this person? What's happened already? Or watching the second half of the movie which is apparently easier than ever to do today, by the way, on, on Amazon. It's like if you share an account, somebody's watched half the movie, you click in on it, wait a minute. Here's the problem. You have no idea how things have come. How did this all happen that we're sitting here in Jerusalem and it's a mess and you know all this confusion? How'd that happen? But you're also not familiar with many of the characters. You read, for example, I guess I didn't quote this, but you read, for example, in John 1.14, we've heard this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, imagine if you hadn't read the first half of the story and you come upon John and you realize you read the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. And you ask yourself, what law? And who's Moses? If you didn't have the Old Testament, you wouldn't know these things. You wouldn't know these things. The New Testament is the sequel to the Old Testament. And each testament needs the other one. Each is incomplete without the other. They are two acts of one seamless drama. The New Testament fits the Old Testament like a glove. It picks right up when the Old Testament leaves off. And the connection, the connective tissue, if you would allow me to say that, is the ongoing story of the Messiah. That's what connects. You see the storyline of the Messiah. Again, everything's unfinished. And then the New Testament comes in. And now you see the rest of the story. Okay. I want to just illustrate that in closing today. Please turn to Acts chapter 3, verse 18. 
Acts chapter 3, verse 18. The New Testament is the sequel to the Old. It completes the unfinished business of the Old Testament. Here's an example. Pretty extraordinary one. Look at Acts chapter 3. We met Peter again today. We saw how uh, Andrew came to him and said, we have found the Messiah. And later on, he had told Jesus that we have come to know and believe that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's ascended into heaven. And on Pentecost, the, the apostles came and they gave an incredible message, which we saw last week, by the way, in chapter 2. And then again, once again, a couple of things happened. And now Peter's talking again to the people, the Jews in Jerusalem. Notice what he said. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets. Announced beforehand. These announcements, who made them? The mouth of one prophet? All of them. What did all of the prophets tell us? They didn't, they didn't finish the story, but they all said that his Messiah, his Christ, would suffer. That's one of the big sticking points, by the way, of, of rabbis and Jews and people that want to you know, say, well, the, the Old Testament really didn't talk about Jesus. Right? They're, they're, they were emphasizing a king and suffering king. Nah. Well, apparently, Peter realized differently the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would he, Christ, is God, has just has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come to you, may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing the kingdom still yet to come. And that he, God, may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. This is a this is think about this. Jesus has already come. Right. And they knew it. They talked talk about that in chapter. Jesus come. He's the promised Messiah. You put him to death. God raised him from the dead. Now in chapter three, he's saying, listen, OK, you still have an opportunity here. OK, but now you have to realize that Jesus is coming again. He may send Jesus the Christ appointed. Notice the Christ again, the Messiah appointed for you whom heaven must receive. And they, they heaven did until the period of restoration. And notice how this is worded of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. What's he saying? He's saying that even here, the, the, that there is a period of restoration of all things. And not only that, all things is all things, by the way. God created the heavens and the earth. Adam, right, when, when he sinned and he fell, the whole earth and everything in it fell with him. But Christ, of course, is, is, is reconciling all things now. 21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient times. And notice who he mentions next, verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. This is Jesus. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. Notice the seamless connection. Notice the ongoing story. It is you who are the sons of the prophets and the covenant which God has made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, all the way back to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Messianic prophecy. Abraham, for you first, God raised up his servant. There's the servant of Isaiah and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. There is one storyline that runs throughout the Bible. It's the story of the Messiah. And the first Messiah is the one who will come. That's where you get to all throughout the Old Testament. And by the end, he's still, oh, he's still, he will come, Malachi. And then in the second act, the New Testament, the Messiah has come and his name is Jesus. From start to finish, the entire Bible is messianic. Now, this morning, I have simply stated these things to you. In the coming messages, I will be showing these things to you in the scriptures. All right, let's close. Heavenly Father, we thank you again this morning for providing for us this magnificent story throughout your word of the Messiah. We ask now, Father, as we embark on this study that you would 
build this up and enlighten us and allow us to see, have eyes to see all the marvelous things that are in your word regarding your son, the Messiah. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, just um, again to recap and to, if I can find it. Um, Every Thursday we we do have Bible study here. Again, I think uh, this morning, I hope I made it clear to you that this subject we're about to study goes hand in glove with Isaiah, particularly the place we're at with the servant. Okay, so if, you, if at all you can make it, please please try to join us. Um, also, uh, once again, I want to remind everybody that uh, Keithian's coming on Sunday, November 21st, um, Thanksgiving, and next Sunday we won't be having a service. Um, and preach. Remember the gospel. Repeat, repeat, repeat. What's the gospel? That Jesus died for our sins. And whoever believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. All right, let's close once again. Thank you once again for the magnificent things in your word. We ask us to now help us to have more confidence in the word so that we may be able to speak it to others who need to understand that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. We ask this in his name, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit. Amen. Amen.